the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one dave trafford is here host and producer of on the ledge the ontario politics podcast courtney betty from betty's law mark tui is an advisor to business and political leaders now also one of our show hosts here he's going to be in for jerry again today from nine to noon uh happy Friday to you all, and uh, let's actually begin with something that happened in the family, and that's uh, Joe Cristiano, producer of Moore in the Morning, uh, now becoming the second of five people to be attacked in the street randomly. At least in my case, I could see it coming. There was a guy causing a disturbance in a subway station and then turned all of his attention to me. In Joe's case, he was checking out some construction uh, abnormality or whatever in the streets near Osgoode Hall when out of nowhere some guy punched him in the shoulder. Fortunately, he was holding his helmet. So the guy's punch landed on the helmet and broke the helmet, which is worth $100, I might add. Um, Mark Tui, it's not just because it happens to somebody that we know. It just, the streets just don't feel safe out there. And with, uh, you know, countdown to Election Day on Monday, I guess that's an issue. Yeah, it is an issue. It'll be something that people can talk about. I, I, I don't know. It's so hard to tell. There is a general feeling that it is becoming more common. But I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how to measure it because unless it happens to you, yeah. you don't necessarily see it. And I'm I'm not seeing people collecting statistics on it. Maybe they should be, but I don't know how you would do that. But uh, yeah, it just you know you got to pay attention to what's going on. Not to say that Joe wasn't, but I mean you, you got to you always have to have your eyes open and your head on a swivel wherever you go. Yeah. Well, as a person texted, a woman texted earlier this morning and said, you know, welcome to my world. This is what it's like to be a woman at all times. But, uh, you know, Dave Trafford, I've compared this in the past to The Walking Dead. I mean, honestly, on my way in this morning, I came, I drove past two different people who seemed to be in a very altered and disturbed state. And I don't remember it being like that when I got here 20 years ago. Yeah, Aaron, my daughter was in town uh, a couple of weekends ago, and uh, one of our staffers from uh, Halifax was with with her, and uh, we were walking along Richmond Street, uh, the other end of Richmond from where you guys are, and um, just kind of wandering along, we were heading over towards uh, Sherburne, and it occurred to me as we were walking along there, the number of, of you know, sort of clusters of, uh, you know, again, guys who are kind of hanging around the... Um, the stoop at a at a store or a you know a boarded up business or whatever it might be, and again like uh, to your point, being something of an altered state, and we're, I'm watching. I mean, I'm just keeping my head up, but I'm thinking, boy, um, there's nothing that says that we aren't going to randomly be chosen um, by anybody who's out there. And it was broad daylight, and it was the first time ever. I have walked in the streets of Toronto, and I used to walk along those streets in the middle of the night to go to do the morning show where you are, that I had felt unsafe in the city of Toronto. So whether or not we do any kind of statistical analysis, as Mark is suggesting, I think the perception gets out far in front of this. And even if we had the stats, I'm thinking it's going to be a hard thing to tamp down and worry about what it's like to walk and live in the streets of Toronto. Yeah, Joe Cristiano actually insisted on this man being arrested, so that's one stat. But, you know, in my case, which was a relatively minor encounter, um, I I didn't do anything. I didn't even call the TTC. Why would I? I had places to be. Things but the to TTC do. was there, so you shouldn't have had to call them. They were standing yeah. right there looking at you. They opened the gate for you, so they, they should me. be reporting yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, did we find Courtney Betty, or is he still... Met? We've got Courtney. Uh, Good morning, I'm here. Courtney. I'm here. I'm here. Hi. Good okay. morning, John. <laughs> you were late He, he to the was table. being assaulted on the way here. So. <laughs> <laughs> Your hey. thoughts, Courtney? 
Good, good morning, John. Um, you know, first of all, you mentioned family. And, you know, our listeners, they would not know Joe. But Joe is just one of, uh, you know, I use the word sweetest, nicest individual that I've ever met. So it's, it's very painful that he is a victim of this attack. But it's interesting because my daughters, John, they are very protective. And I, and I don't like it that I have to play chauffeur. Because when they're moving around the city of Toronto, they're not feeling safe. And for me, it's not the world that I grew up in. So whether or not statistically it's changed, there certainly is a perception among many people that our city is just not as safe and and the possibility of individual attacks is there. You can read more about Joe's encounter in Joe Warmington's column today. And exactly as predicted, the uh, it's not in the print edition, but online, there's a very sad-faced picture of Joe Cristiano holding his broken helmet. Because that's <laughs> sort of the format at the sun. Well, imagine what that did to the poor man's knuckles. You should be thinking about that. <laughs> I'd imagine, but it's also $100. Um, we have another person who's been convicted of murder who was transferred from maximum to medium security. And I know people are looking for this to be a pattern in the wake of the outrage over Bernardo, uh, but it should be noted the families are complaining about this two years after it happened. Courtney Betty, I guess a lot of people will say this is just more evidence that we're soft on crime, or maybe this is just how the incarceration system works. Well, it really is going to come down to the directions that the minister in charge of corrections is going to give. Um, We have this process in place, but really and truly, should an individual that committed these crimes be placed in in a facility that's not as secure? Have they paid their price to society? I think that's the big question that's been asked. And the family says, no, they don't feel that they have. Yeah, I have been in every federal prison west of Quebec for reasons that I might explain in the Jerry Agar show, uh, <laughs> but I'm allowed to be here today. Uh, most There are very few maximum security prisons. Most of them are sort of yeah. medium max. In fact, they're all sort of, you've got medium max in the same facility, then you've got minimum around it. It shouldn't be about the level of security. What This wouldn't be an issue if we weren't afraid they were eventually going to let these people go. And that's the fear, because there are some people who are so heinous, so vile, so rotten, they should never be released from custody. And if we had a criminal justice system that had an ability to ensure victims and families in society that these people would remain behind bars forever, no matter what shape or you know color those bars are, then I think we'd all sleep much better at night. Yeah, Dave Trafford, you get the last word on this one. I, th- I think there's a bit of a misrepresentation here. I, I recognize the argument Mark is making, but I also think people suspect that going from maximum to medium security is like getting a hotel upgrade, and it's, they're not that different. Maybe, but the, the, again, we come back to this whole conversation around perception. The irony of all of this is that the minister at the time was the former Toronto police chief, Bill Blair. So of all guys who would think that, you know, we would want to make sure that there was some tightening down in terms of the process around this, it would have been him. Now, because he's not the minister, we can't question him about that anymore. So it only leads to the question as to, well, when did that minister's office know about this? And was they, were they informed at all? And was the Mendicino thing actually something, uh, a one-off? Or is this just 
the inept uh, way that government works, particularly uh, vis-a-vis uh, Corrections Canada. I'm tending to think it's the latter. We talked with Mike Cole, Toronto City Councillor, an hour ago on the show. He made his pitch for a new idea, which would be let's get trucks off the 401, put them on the 407, and either the 407 should grant them uh, some sort of a cheaper fare or taxpayers should pick up the ticket. Mark Tui, I don't like to crap all over ideas, but this particular one strikes me as a bit harebrained. Uh, well, I think that might be source prejudice because the councillor is a bit harebrained, but he's very good at getting his name out there at a time when everybody's attention is focused on the mayoral race. It's hard for a councillor to sort of stick his head up and get any attention. He's been very successful with this. He's very good at this. That said, I think he's probably right, but I don't think he goes far enough. I, I would say we should look at putting all commercial traffic on the 407 and reducing the rates for them so that you could ease up some of the traffic on the 401, more evenly distribute it on two highways, because right now you've got the entire world trying to squeeze down the, the plastic straw of the 401, and nobody on the 407 except those who can afford to pay for it, which is very few. That's why it's so attractive. Right. Put all the commercial trucks on the toll road, bring the rate down to a reasonable one, and then let it everybody have a little bit of space to breathe on the 401. Okay, but Dave Trafford, again, we come back to the point. The uh, 407 is privately owned. We did that because we're idiots. And why would they want to dilute the quality of their product, even if it made the 401 safer and more pleasurable? Well, there's a couple of issues here for, for the consortium because, um, I mean, they're going to be want to be made whole. So whether, the, you know, the, they lower that rate, the government would have to be in a position to subsidize the rate. So let's start there. But here's the other issue. With all of that heavy truck traffic on the 401, you, you just the quality of the actual surface of the highway is problematic no matter where you are. And it's very difficult to go through an entire year without some patch and stretch of the 401, the lanes being closed for lengthy periods of time because of maintenance. It rarely ever happens on the 407. I'm one of the guys that uses the 407 fairly regularly because I can't put up with the 401. On the other hand, the consortium then is responsible for the maintenance of that highway. That's where the real cost would be if we put all of those trucks up there. But I'm thinking Mike Cole's on the right track here. I've been saying this for a long time. Let them bypass. Most of those trucks don't stop in Toronto. They bypass Toronto. So put them up there, let them go, and, and it will. we would actually save money in terms of productivity and time lost sitting in traffic on the 401 if we were able to do that. Okay, there's a few other topics I want to get to, so I'm going to jump to a different one, but I'll start with you, Courtney Betty, on this one. Star Editorial Board editorializing today. Uh, the headline probably says it all. Black Canadians suffer racism in the justice system. As a lawyer and a person of color, Courtney, I have to think your first thought is tell me something I don't know. Oh, John, you're reading my mind, which is very dangerous, actually, because that's exactly I'm like looking at this and I'm like laughing and I'm will we stop doing these reports and actually do something about it? I mean, we can go back 10, 15, 20, 30 years. This is the same um, you know, statistics that we're repeating over and over and over again. We, we need to create a situation where police officers are not receiving benefits for proactively stopping someone on the street because they are black or indigenous or they're, they're different. This is all about racial profiling. And what it does, this is the worst part of it, it creates an image in the general public that these individuals are creating more crime than other individuals because they're ending up in the criminal justice system. As someone who's involved in the system, it really is extremely painful. We need 
to address this issue. And Dave Trafford, it kind of comes on different tiers. I mean, a black person is more likely to be stopped by a police officer. That stop is more likely to turn into some form of an event or violence. Uh, they're more likely to be charged than non-black uh, suspects or accused. They're also more likely to draw longer sentences. I've been covering this story since 1988, so it, it, to Courtney's point, like, tell me something we don't already know. Um, here's the problem I have with this story, though. The research does not actually go deep enough to say, qualify what it means to be treated unfairly by the justice system or by police. Surely, if it's real, verifiable, you know, decent research, we should be getting at the heart of that and actually breaking that out and saying, this is the problem, and to Courtney's point, then there, here's the fix that we can actually uh, apply to. It. Mark Tui. I mentioned before that I'd been through uh, most of the prisons, all of the prisons yeah. west of uh, Quebec, and I will tell you from my sort of anecdotal experience, most of the prisoners are indigenous. Uh, I didn't see that many black people, but you know, in Western Canada, there there weren't as many as there are here. But uh, I think it's it's a really difficult question because at what stages of the justice system is the racism most problematic and, and how do you fix it and probably it's different depending on where it is because I would say you could also argue that most of the poor people in the poorest neighborhoods of uh, of our big cities are people of color and people of visible minorities and new immigrants and that's where most of the crime happens not because the color of their skin or their background but because of the you know the economic conditions and so if you start with them causing perhaps disproportionately more of the the crimes, you're, are you inevitably going to see more of them incarcerated and dealt harshly with the justice system? I don't know. Well, well, there's two parts to it, right? You've got a black Bay Street banker who drives a nice car that gets stopped by the police. That's a hassle, right? That's totally unnecessary without any other reasons. And the reality of it is if you put 100 police officers into any local community, you're going to get arrest generated. So you've got this disproportionate amount that comes throughout the entire system. It, you, you cannot just look at one piece of it. You're quite correct. You've got to look at it from the time you get arrested to the time you go before the court, what the Crown prosecutor is going to do, where you're going to end up serving. Like, it's, it's the entire system that is corrupt. Thank you all. Good to have you. Courtney Betty, Dave Trafford, Mark Tui. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.